Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No More Mondays. As usual, I'm your host, Angie Callen. Stop what you are doing. I mean it. Stop for a second. Well, maybe if you're driving, don't slam on the brakes, but I want to do a little check-in. How's your mental health doing? No, really. I mean, fine isn't the answer we're looking for here. Be honest with yourself. How are you holding up? If your answer was anything short of, I am stellar, then I am glad you're here with me today as Lindsay Recknell and I are going to talk about mental health, specifically in the workplace, and how we support that, how we manage that, and how we close a gap in mental health to up-level our careers, our teams, our confidence, and so many other positive benefits that can come from it. Lindsay is the CEO of Paradigm Corporate Wellness. She's also one of my favorite Canadians, where she focuses on all of these things around mental health in the corporate environment and so much more. And she's going to share all kinds of amazing wisdom with us today. So Lindsay, welcome to No More Mondays. Hello, Angie. So great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So uh, full transparency, I was, it's always fun when I have podcast guests who have actually gotten to like meet in the human flesh. And I got to see Lindsay uh, talk at a conference a couple months ago. It was a room full of women in tech, which I thought was such an applicable place to talk about mental health, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, I loved not only your energy, but just the message too. And I thought it was really applicable to kind of how we craft a more fulfilling, sustainable kind of career environment for ourselves and others. So let's kind of start off with basically some groundwork. Why is mental health in the workplace such a critical topic that we need to bring awareness to? Because we are humans at work. And I think that we have done ourselves a disservice over the last 20-ish years where we've checked ourselves at the door. Um, And we haven't been able to have a full expression of our humanity in the workplace. And I think that's been detrimental to us as humans in building relationships and also, honest to God, the bottom line of our organizations. Absolutely. I think that if we if we kind of like peel back the mental health compartment of that, it's I think that corporate America has forgotten that humans work in it. Yes, absolutely. Can we just say that? You're 100% correct. We, in fact, it has been taught out of us Compassion in the workplace, humanity in the workplace has literally been taught out of us. I think this is so interesting because I, you guys all know out there, we record these episodes and and they air a little later. Literally this morning, I recorded another episode with Jim Young. And if for those of you who listen to this podcast regularly will have already heard it, but we talked about so much overlapping stuff here, more specifically with kind of men in the burnout space mm-hmm. that I think it's just so interesting that this is becoming a topic that is kind of more prevalent. Um, and I love that we kind of get to build on this and talk not just about it as it as it pertains to kind of men, but all people of all levels, especially Um I'm curious, before we really get into kind of the advice component, what's your firsthand experience with 
some of the challenges of like mental health in the workspace. Mm, so that's a, that's the reason I got into doing this work. You know, I was it usually is, which is why yeah. I asked. <laughs> Um, well, and I was just, I was just speaking to your, to your partner there about how I used to be a business analyst and started my career in accounting and finance. And now the crooked journey gets me to working in workplace mental health. But, but it, it is because back in 2017, I suffered from total and complete overwhelm and burnout. We were going through mental health and addiction here at home. I was working too much as my coping mechanism. And I remember very clearly going to, I was working for two different leaders at the time. And I went to one leader and I said, here's what's going on. And their response was, sorry to hear that. Please get back to work. And I went to the other leader and they said, sorry to hear that. How can I help? What do you need? Where, 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 how can we best support you? And in leader one's defense, they literally hadn't been taught this thing. Generationally, um, he's a Gen Xer, literally hadn't been taught and had not really, you know, wasn't comfortable, didn't feel good about engaging in those conversations. Okay, I mean, give him a little bit of grace there. The other leader, more, you know, more evolved, had had some personal mental health experience and just responded in a nice, compassionate, humanistic sort of way. And clearly that gap needs to close. We need to, all of us, get closer to leader number two. And so I just thought, you know, if we can, if we can, if I can help to close that gap, if I can help to educate leaders uh, and teach them mental health skills that we have not yet been taught in our professional development, I'm here for it. So here we are. <laughs> when you bring up an interesting aspect of this, and not to pick on people of varying ages, but it tends to be, that type of leadership tends to be uh, prevalent in kind of like older generations, which come from that, uh, you know, the, the, po it's still, it's so funny that almost a hundred years later, there's still that post-war mentality that like trickles into generational idiosyncrasies, but that whole idea of like, you just have to work, you just have to make money and then you just die. And there's a, there's a kind of a transition happening that's being kind of forced upon the, the market that I think now is the time where that shift kind of has to happen. And we all have to realize that we're all humans. Well, and I actually think the generational impact is bigger than we think, because back to ooh, the fact that we haven't been taught, the baby boomers definitely weren't taught. And the senior leaders in our organization learned from the baby boomers. And so the baby boomers can't like the Gen Xers can't learn from teachers who also don't know. But we as this sort of sandwich generation, the the end of the Gen Xers, the beginning of the millennials, we're in this interesting transition where we know how important it is, but we're having to learn it on the fly, build that plane as it's being uh, flown, as an example, because the millennials and all the generations coming up behind us, they already get it. And in fact, they're teaching us. And so we're in this weird sandwich generation that in our organizations is having a bigger impact than we think. And... If you think about your organization and in some organizations, there's actually five generations working there right now. Yes, which has never happened before. So it's Ever. this convergence of things. Also, thank you for including me in the Star Wars generation, Xenials, sandwich generation, whatever you want to call it, because I tend to think it's exactly what we are. It's almost like we are pragmatic enough because of the 
glass half empty aspect of life that like a lot of Gen Xers have, but then, but, but not so much so that we don't have the hopefulness of millennials. I like to think it's a perfect mix of both. We are the perfect generation, Lindsay. As a, but as I think a it's, person born in 79, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> in 1980, gotta love it. But I think it's also, I think it gives us the ability to kind of relate and almost bridge a gap when it comes to kind of the other two slight extremes that are, that's really interesting. And, you know, I was digging around on kind of your website and LinkedIn and putting some talking points together for this and came across that uh, little statistic that you have about the research where 70% of people say or report that they have burnout, which actually means you have a seven, there's a 70% chance that homeboy up the ladder who's telling you to just go be a robot is probably suffering from the same thing. And that's probably why he's telling you to just go be a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Because homeboy up the ladder doesn't know how to deal with his own burnout. Exactly. Yes. All right. So how do we deal with our burnout? What advice do you have for people who are kind of dealing with overwhelm? Um, they're on the struggle bus, like all the things. What do we do? Yeah. So I think the first part is that self-awareness piece. We use that language of burnout a lot. And I love that. I love that we're having these conversations. I love that the World Health Organization um, recognize it as an actual affliction that's happening in the workplace, clearly not just in the workplace. But there is a difference between burnout and having too much stress. And I want to talk about that real quick, because I think it was it was um, super instrumental in my own, I don't know, giving myself grace in all of this. So having too much stress in our lives is when we feel like everything is too much, right? Too many deadlines, too much performance, too much people pleasing, all of the things. Burnout is when we go from too much and we tip over into not enough. Not enough energy, not enough motivation, truly not enough cares left to give. It is that that um, tip over into complete physical and emotional depletion. Like there is literally nothing left. And in fact, you don't care anymore that there's too much of all the things because your body is in that burnout. And it's a chemical response in your body. All the stressors in our lives are causing the stress, which is the chemical response in your body, which is um, over time with intensity and longevity is going to cause the burnout, the chemical response, the physical response in your body. So if you are thinking, if you are thinking about your own self right now and you have unexplained headaches or digestive issues or elevated heart rate, any of those things, check on your stress levels. It is a high likelihood that if it's unexplained and you didn't just eat something bad the night before, it's probably you on the path to burnout. Yeah. So one of the keys is knowing how to identify it, because I think that we like to think it's like, oh, it'll pass. Oh, it's just a moment in time. When I get through this week, it will change. And then the next Friday, you say the same thing. And the next Friday, you say the same, say the same thing. And then a year later, you're like, holy cow, I keep thinking something was going to change. And it didn't because it isn't necessarily external factors that have to change. It's kind of internal factors and like almost boundaries or mechanisms that we have to force in place in order to kind of get all that stuff in check. Right. Well, and also, um, two of my favorite resources in the whole burnout world are doctors, Amelia and Emily Nagoski, and they wrote a book called burnout unlocking the stress cycle. And one of the key takeaways from that book, which is PS incredible. 
everyone should read that book. And in fact, you should all listen to it because they read it and it's hilarious. But one of my favorite takeaways from that book is that meeting that deadline or removing that stressor in your life isn't actually enough to close the stress cycle. So those your sympathetic nervous system will still be in overdrive. Those stress chemicals in your body will still be impactful unless you do something to close the stress cycle. So even a year from now, if you think, oh, you know, my uh, my health is my health is great, but you're still feeling stressed out. It's because you haven't done something intentional to close the stress cycle. And there's a number of things we can do to do that. Um, moving your body, breathing, um, hugging, laughing, creative expression, being intentional about acting on any one of those or any number of those areas will um, be sufficient to start to close that stress cycle for you and start to, to calm that uh, sympathetic nervous system and kick in the parasympathetic nervous system. So these are all things that we can do in our own little individual world. Let's take this and scale it up to the kind of the workplace wellness, the corporate aspect, the team aspect of you know, mental health, humanism, and all that kind of stuff, you know, how as leaders or, or even just a a component of a team, how do we create a culture that avoids these pitfalls? Um, Why is that important? Talk to me about all of that stuff as we take this into the workplace. Yeah. Um, And I think you brought up something really, really important. It is a it is a relationship between both you as the human and doing what you need to do to take care of your own health, as well as your organization and your leader doing the things to make sure you're in an environment that supports good wellness. Um, I really like this analogy that says you can't expect your employees to be fresh as cucumbers, if you are putting them in an environment that's like vinegar and turning them into pickles, <laughs> you know, they're like the actual quote is much more eloquent than that. But the point is, you can't expect people to do their best work in a toxic environment. And so what can you as leaders or organizations do to really um, support wellness of employees from a leader perspective, priority setting and workload management? Is every conversation you're having on a one to one about what's on their plate and how you can manage that priority list and adjusting, continuing to have those conversations, continuing to adjust and having the expectation that it literally won't all be done. But as long as these top three, top five priorities can be accomplished, you're all you're all on the same page that those bottom 15 things probably won't be done. That'll go a long way in expectation setting and making people feel heard and valuable and all that. I think it's I think the way to like I would I would phrase that is that you you keep in in touch with it and just have very honest conversations at probably more frequent intervals than the annual review. (laughs) Let's just throw that out there uh, to make sure that like your people do feel seen and they have a space to bring up any kind of concerns, because I also think is really interesting. I can't remember what company it was. But just in the last week, I saw something, I think it was on LinkedIn, about a, it was one of the big companies, Salesforce or one of those guys who on their Slack channel gave us, uh, provided a new setting for the staff to say, because they have a setting that says like, you know, I'm out of the office or I'm in a meeting or whatever. They created a setting that says I'm here, but I'm not 100 percent today. And I feel yes. like we can we can probably make more space for that because we aren't 100 percent, 100 percent of the time. We're probably not 100 percent, 50 percent of the time. And I think putting that expectation in check is also a good component 
as you create space to have the conversation around like workload and prioritization and what can get done based on what needs to get done and also how you feeling today, right? Like how does all that come together? <laughs> well, and you and you're exactly right. Not only can you as leaders engage in conversation and create psycholog- psychologically safe spaces, but your systems and processes and governance also need to support it. You can't tell your employees that they need to take more vacation time and then not give them an environment where they actually feel like they can take that vacation time, you know? So your systems have to support that. It's statistically proven that uh, if you have unlimited PTO, you actually take less PTO than if you're given like a set number of days of a week, because psychologically you don't feel like you can take it because you're not like, oh, it's not okay to manage it yourself. So uh, that is a one funny little kind of data point to support that makes sure you have a system in place that supports people taking the time they need for their mental health if you want them to take the time they need for their mental health. Like it feels so obvious, but sometimes common sense is not so common. Exactly. And I think a lot of it is the reason common sense isn't common is because we don't pay attention to it or or actually intentionally ignore it. And in my and I think that's a really good kind of first step here. Like so many things we talk about is like being aware of the challenges that people do face in their professional environment and being intentional to support them through it. And the how, not just the what. We all know what we need to do. Let's support actually being able to do it. Very, very good. Very good point. And I know, shameless plug, you have a program that can help kind of leaders and HR professionals do this. So let's tell me a little bit more about the how and specifically how you help the how. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, So the number one thing that's most popular for us right now is called the Mental Health Skills Training Certificate Program. 21 hours of instruction, real life, virtual, but real life, not pre-recorded, theory plus application, case study, cohort based. So you're getting real peer-to-peer information and support all about navigating mental health at work. So we talk about, um, it's kind of three parts. So we talk about you as a people leader, you as an HR professional, and how to engage in conversation at work, how to notice if somebody isn't feeling awesome, and how to literally what questions you can ask, um, how you can open the door to those conversations, and then how to respond. Because sometimes when people share their feelings with you, you're like, yeah, I don't know what to do with this information, but I appreciate you being here. So we we address all of that. And then part two is all about navigating the legal and ethical and moral considerations that you need to make as a human that works and leads teams um, because the national rules, the state rules, provincial rules, and your own company rules um, make it complicated to to figure out how to make a decision that will work for you and the employee and your organization. So we talk through all of that. And then thirdly, we talk about you as the human and how you can show up as your best self so that you can model that behavior out loud. So we talk about stopping the slide into burnout and workload management, and we talk about compassionate leadership and how you can show up um, and learn to be more compassionate in the workplace. So I just had, uh, I will, uh, I will share my personal story of this that just happened in the last like several days that um, my marketing manager and I sat down because she's been with me for three years and you know, three years ago, Career Benders was a very different business than it is right now. But we've never sat down and intentionally looked at like, okay, Meredith, what's on your plate? 
what hats do you wear and how how does this look in the time that you have to give to it on, you know, on it from a day to day basis? And it was like eye opening because she's she's like, "Mm, I feel like sometimes I sit down and I go, okay, what do I have time to do instead of like, okay, what's number one on my priority list? And so uh, check in with all of your staff, everybody out there. And if they say that to you, "Mm, time to look at things and make a challenge. So. I would say just practically what I told her to do was um, make a three tiered list of, okay, what's everything that you do that you love and would never want to get rid of? What is everything that you do that you enjoy, but would be willing to give up? And then what's the scum of the bottom of the earth that you're like, I can't believe Angie makes me do this because then you can look at it and kind of like, you know, allocate it appropriately and delegate because then you're also playing to strengths, right? I think that's something we also don't do very well. We try to put people in a box instead of designing packaging made for them specifically. And I think that's also a way to combat this. Huge. And I mean, just having that conversation and her probably having a lot of self-awareness and that in that conversation, you having awareness of her role and things like that. And we're all moving really fast. It's so easy to get in the day and day and just get the things done. Um, And I think it'll be really important to continue to check in and continue to have those conversations because what you know today is going to be different what what you know a month from now. Um, And having the space and the expectation that you're going to keep checking in on that will be super, super key to its success. And there's a takeaway in what you just said, Lindsay, that I think is really an important foundation for this is that this isn't something you do once. You don't go in and say, hey, how you doing? I see you. You're a human. How's your workload? OK, cool. We'll check in that in that again on your annual review or never again because I was vulnerable and asked you once. Like this is really something that has to be nurtured and fed and cultivated to really take shape and root, become rooted in culture um, and to get the positive benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Mental health is not one and done. It has to be habitual. It gets to be, in fact, it, that is my number one mission in life is to normalize these kinds of conversations so that it just becomes how we speak around here. And I think that that's also something to normalize both in your, well, not even both at work, at home, in your relationships, in your relationship with yourself, like normalize those check-ins and those conversations kind of across the board. And you'll be surprised how even just um, again, to go back to kind of my my uh, my friend Jim, who's the other the other podcast, he said to me, he was like, when you share those kind of vulnerabilities, it builds the relationship. And I think that that's also part of this is that mental health has become this kind of tabooish subject. And I'm glad that it's becoming we're trying to untaboo it. But I think a lot of it is because we don't want to be vulnerable. We think that's a weakness. And and when really that's actually a point of potential connection with people that could help the whole little ecosystem. Oh, I, I can tell you story after story after story of me sharing my story and folks coming and therefore sharing their story because they felt like they had permission, something resonated. Um, they all of a sudden felt like I was human and, and vice versa. You know, the, the people that I've heard speak about their mental health challenges, hundred percent inspired me to talk out loud about my own. Oh, that's the other thing is you just never know what you're going to do for somebody that day. Mm -hmm. That's what's so, so, so cool. Um, And that in turn does something for you. Right. So there's that like whole karma thing we talk about actually has some legitimacy to it. It turns out. who knew? All right. So we're going to get some more kind of recommendations from you. Uh, Give us a great book recommendation. My number one favorite book is called The Book of Joy. It is five days of dialogue between the Dalai Lama and 
uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And if you like audiobooks, I highly recommend the audiobook because Desmond Tutu does his own part and the Dalai Lama's translator does his. And it is awesome. The Book of Joy. Uh, You all can't see me, but I did like this knee jerk reaction to my bookshelf because I feel like that's one of those ones that's on here. But I may have inherited it through my husband and not realized that I've had it all these years. And I'm like, I got to go. I think I have that. I got to go find that because clearly it's time to read it. Love it. Uh, What's your favorite movie? (laughs) Footloose. Nobody judge. (laughs) Love it. Uh, And okay. Hold the phone. It's the original Kevin Bacon version, no doubt. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They, re- they remade it, but I don't think watch I even it watched me. it. No, the I, I haven't watched the new one, um, although somebody last weekend told me that it's pretty close and that I probably like it. But nobody should watch the original with me because I know all the words and I'm really annoying. Uh, do you do the dance, too? Because right now I want to start doing the dance. <laughs> yes, when they're in the field and then they. Oh, 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 my. Yes. Every every 38 to 43 year old out there is doing the dance with us. Let's just say that. Uh, what is it? What is it? Well, actually, we need to, we need two for this. I want I want podcast recommendations from you. One mm-hmm. has to be shameless plug your own and then we'll get another. All right. Fair enough. Uh, can I shameless plug both of mine really of course. quick? I didn't. OK, I, so uh, guilty, guilty. You didn't know there were two. So we're going to get three out of you then. <laughs> so I have two. One is called Hope Motivates Action, which is full of stories of inspiring transformation, which is just so awesome. Um, I just love, I just love interviewing all those fine folks. The other one's called mental health for leaders, which is more topics just like you and I are having right now, where I get to interview thought leaders and people doing the work. So that's really cool. And then, um, from a business perspective, no, not from a business perspective, from a life perspective, the Good Life Project is been super insp- um, transformational in my life. I really, really love uh, Jonathan Fields and all the work that he's done on the Good Life Project. That is an excellent recommendation. I don't think anybody's ever thrown out thrown that one out there, and I that one's on my radar and totally agree. Uh, that is a great lineup and note to all of you, it will be, all of those things will be listed in the show notes on nomoremondays.info, but we've got one more question and that is, this is a show about how to improve your Mondays. So what's the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday? Motivation, actually, because I am in a place where I really, really love my work. I've never felt more aligned to any work that I've ever done. And although it's an entrepreneurial thing and I could work all the weekends and I still do because of my corporate environment, my corporate experience for the last 25 years, I still stick to a Monday to Friday like work day. Um, But I'm super excited to get back to work. I really love the work that I do and I'm happy for Monday to be here to do it. Uh, and no matter what day your week starts, I think it's good to be motivated on on Mondays and all of the days. But I think it's funny just totally segueing away from this. I have the exact same, I, w- I would say, problem that to me, everything starts on a Monday. There was a period of time where I actually saw clients from Sunday through Thursday, but it still felt like Sunday was like this just random day and everything still started on Monday. New habits. Oh, I'll start the new book on Monday. I'll start my new planner on Monday. It's like after 20 years of working in a corporate type environment, everything just starts on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, legit. Totally legit. <laughs> That's our other word for Mondays, everybody. Lindsay and Angie, start. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe we're actually at the point of like starting to wind this conversation down because it feels like we're just getting started. But 
Uh, I want to make sure everybody out there can follow along with you, check out the new program. How do, do we tune into you and all the great stuff that you've got going on in, in mental health and the resources that you offer? Awesome. So you can start at paradigmcw.com, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-C-W.com, which has links to my podcasts, my training, my all the things. You can start there. Um, and then expertinhope.com is where you'll find all my work on positive psychology and the science of hope. Oh, love both of those. And also just side note, Lindsay and I are connected on LinkedIn, so you can find her network, her in my network as well, and everything she just mentioned on the webpage for this episode. And as we prepare to say goodbye, I, I feel like you're, you have such great energy. I just kind of want to stay here for a little while, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask the last question. One more big gold nugget. What's your number one piece of advice on what our listeners can do to get one step closer to career satisfaction and better mental health? Start where you're at. Figure out the smallest thing to do that will have the biggest impact and start there. It doesn't have to be big, bold marathon examples of things. Start where you're at. Even though side note, Lindsay's a marathon runner. Uh, I, it's, it's a lot, you've heard this your whole life, right? Like the cold Turkey, how often does quitting smoking cold Turkey actually work? So if you can at least identify, like we talked about earlier, identify what's working and what isn't working, and then just kind of like make small changes to inch yourself forward, that will add up to a, a a much more impactful lasting change than if you just tried to like do everything all at once, starting on Monday. (laughs) but obviously start on Monday, (laughs) but it has to start on Monday regardless. (laughs) No, I love this. I hope all of you out there will uh, check out what Lindsay has to offer. Cause I feel like this is, this is very important stuff. And even though she and I are having fun and laughing, talking about it, there is a level of seriousness that I think all of us need to tune into when it comes to mental health in the workplace, because not only is it really critical now, I think it's going to become increasingly more and more important over the coming years, as generational shifts in the workplace change even more, um, as you know, workload and technology and things shift, this is something I think that really needs to become even more and more prevalent and in the spotlight. And and adopting a humanistic approach to to our workplaces will be a differentiator if you're a leader. And uh, so this is all awesome. And it doesn't have to be complicated and hard. It can it can be. Uh, I don't know. It's definitely not going to be easy, but it can be made simple and you can grow your confidence in it for sure. Absolutely. You can do this. All you have to do is kind of commit to it, I think, is the thing. Humans are humans are hard and complicated, but there's a way to kind of simplify and streamline all of this. So for yourself and others, you can make it a little less intimidating and a little bit more accepted. Yeah, I'm here for it. Love this, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today, being part of the No More Mondays movement, bringing awareness to such important things that we all should be talking about more. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I wish it could be three times longer. It has been my absolute pleasure. I love being in your world. So thanks for having me. Yay. As always, we love hearing from people who are navigating their own career crossroads, recovering from burnout, charting paths to success, and more importantly, helping others do that kind of stuff because we all want to have a little bit more, did we say kitschy balance? I'm not sure, but we would, everybody deserves to have a satisfying life and fulfilling in whatever they 
in whatever they define that as. And that's what we're here for. And so this is another great story. Great advice. I hope all of you will check out Lindsay and everything she has to offer. Uh, Grab the show notes, the links to her programs. I'm sure there is a takeaway or 10 to grab from her. And for all of you out there listening, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays. Leave us a five-star rating because Lindsay and I just killed it in this episode. And also it's a huge help as people like she and I have these podcasts and conversations with people as we try to bring awareness to things. You know, ratings help us out. So I appreciate you for listening. Thank you for dropping that five-star rating. If you want to leave us comments, feedbacks, feedback, uh, give us a guest suggestion and grab the notes from today's episode. Visit us online at nomoremondays.info and I will see you next Wednesday for another edition of the No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget... Visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com. 